Morning, guys. Hey, flipping your Bible to Psalm 4. And while you're doing that, um, my name is Jeff Grasher. I'm the youth pastor here at Midtown. And I'm thankful and grateful to get to be here with you guys in first service. This is cool. Sam's out exploring the world. And so he asked a few of us if we would like to, to fill in for him. And, and so here, here we are. So this is good. It's always much more nerve-wracking when you're standing down here in front, and then you get up here, and it's like my nerves are at ease now. This is good. We're family, right? This is good. Um, so we're going to be in Psalm 4 this morning, and the title of the message is, is Hear My Prayer. So we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about uh, what spiritual reality exists in the believer's life uh, regarding prayer, like what what can or should that look like for us as believers, prayer, our prayer life. But as I was working through this passage, I was reminded of a, a story that's kind of like the, the opposite of good prayer. And, but I figured it was just too good to kind of illustrate, not to share. So this last summer, um, I got to go on a family vacation and uh, it was on a boat. We slept on a boat. And so that was really cool. And we, we kind of spent the whole time, well, I kind of spent the whole time fishing, right? And so if you know me, you may know that I really love, I love to fish. So I'm fishing the whole time. And on the last night, <clears throat> you know, we were staying inside this, these close quarters in this boat. And on the last night, my wife and I, Kylie, we were like, let's just sleep outside on the top of the boat. And we can leave our lines in the water. And maybe in the morning, we'll have a fish. So we're sleeping up there, and um, all of our children are down inside the boat, and we have a baby monitor connected, and in the middle of the night, right, uh, Georgia, our youngest, she's screaming out, and so it's time for mom to go down and, and nurse her, right? Well, Kylie goes down there. She's taking care of the baby. She is a good example of, you know, the parent listening to the cry of the child, right? The prayer of the child, right? So she goes down and she takes care of the kid. And then as she's coming out to come back up to sleep on top of the boat, she sees that one of the lines is like bobbing, like there's maybe a fish on there. So she grabs the pole and she starts reeling and she gets it in really, really close. And there's this giant gar. And so a gar has pretty gnarly teeth. It's kind of a wily fish. It's not like an easily landed fish, right? And so she's like, got it close, but she doesn't think she can get up. It's too heavy, and it's like, she doesn't know what it is. So she starts crying out, Jeff! Jeff! Okay, so there's a generator that keeps the AC on (laughs) in between her and me. Jeff, Jeff. And then finally, uh, the line snaps. She loses the fist and she comes up. She comes up the stairs and she's like, her vo- I'll never forget her voice. I can't even imitate it. It's awful. She's like, Jeff, there was a fish. <laughs> and my heart was just broken. I was like, no. Like, ah, I missed. Her call, she was crying out in the middle of the night. I mean, it could have been anything. It could have been the, I mean, the fish is whatever. We don't care about fish, whatever. But just that she was crying out and I missed it. 
I failed. I missed that mark, right? And uh, she's going to be in the second service, and I'm going to tell the story, and she's going to be triggered. I mean, she was really <laughs> bummed by it, but I, I was really, I was really, uh, I felt really bad because, because simply she was crying, and I didn't, I didn't respond. But <clears throat> what we're going to see that is that this morning, our Father in heaven, he doesn't miss those calls, right? He, he, he's always hearing. He's more like my wife where she heard through the baby monitor the crying baby and she went and responded. That's more like our father. So Psalm chapter four, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna, we're gonna read through just the first three verses and, and see what God has for us. But if you would, let's pray together to get started. Father, thank you for your word that we need to hear from you. And, and you have you've preserved your word for us. You've spoken, and, and we can receive it. We can this morning, we can hear uh, exactly what we need to hear for exactly where we're at in life. And uh, God, we do recognize too that that's something that's beyond any of us. I don't know where people are at in their heart, in their relationship with you. I don't know those things. Sometimes we don't even know those things about ourselves. But God, you do. And so we ask that you would, by your spirit, use your word to show us exactly where we're at in our prayer life. You'd show us exactly where we're at regarding salvation and that, God, you would draw us to yourself, that you would draw us to respond to you in prayer biblically. Show us our spiritual reality. Show us how good of a father you are to us through Psalm 4. Um, and I ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm chapter four, <clears throat> pull it up here in my Bible, starts in verse one. It says, to the chief musician on Neganoth, which is a stringed instrument. So this is a song. This psalm is to be played as a song. A psalm of David. He says, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. So you've got this plea from David. Hey, hear my prayer. Listen to me. I want to talk to you. All right? And that made me think, I was thinking, like, when is the first time that prayer or a conversation between God and man is documented? What is the first thing that God ever said directly to man? Does anybody know? I heard Genesis 1, and that's right. Do you know which verse by chance or what it was that he said? Really loud, just, huh? It's a good guess. What the first thing he says directly to man is verse 28. <clears throat> he says, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So it's like, Blessing. He's speaking blessing. This is good news for man, right? Gives him a job. Go be fruitful, multiply, replenish. Okay, what's the next thing that God says to man? It's the next verse. He says, Behold, I've given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you, it shall be for me. So he says, be fruitful and multiply. He gives them this awesome purpose 
on earth. And then he says, hey, and I've given you everything that you need. This is a, a good thing to hear from God, especially as the first thing that God ever says directly to man. You see that? It's, it's good. God is showing that he is for Adam. He's for man. He wants good things for him. The third thing. Take a guess. Say it out loud. What's the third thing you think God said directly to man? Huh? I shouldn't have asked this. I can't hear anything. Really loud. One more time. Don't eat it. Yeah. Pretty much. Yep, that's the right passage. Genesis 2.16, he says, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So again, though, he's saying, hey, you can eat. Look around. You can eat it all. Blessing. Provision. Opportunity. Goodness. With warning. Hey, but there's one thing. Don't do that, Okay. Just don't do that one thing. God is hooking Adam up. And we have, it's important to notice who God is from that. God is a blesser. God is good. God is a provider. God is taking care of man, right? Now what happens next? Adam and Eve fail. They eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And then, and then there will be cursing. But, but what is the first thing that man is recorded as saying directly to God. You could say this is the first prayer, I guess. Yeah. Genesis 3, verse 8 through 10, he says, it says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, here's Adam's first words recorded to God. I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now I think that's pretty reasonable. It's pretty natural. You realize you're naked, you're going to hide, right? But God had only ever proven himself to be for man. He's only ever communicated and shown that he is in man's corner. And yet, as soon as man fails, what does man naturally do? We see shame, we run, we hide. And, and often, I believe that that is our natural response to our sin, to hardship. We run, we hide. It's natural. We run to Natural solutions rather than spiritual ones. Right? I work at Grandview High School, and there's a lot of issues in homes, right, uh, of my students. And, and, you know, you can go anywhere in the city, and you can see that there are issues. There's a plethora of issues in homes today. The world is broken. The world only provides natural solutions for broken situations. So I have lots of students who turn to, to natural solutions. Well, if, if things are hard, well, run and hide. If things are hard, well, lie your way out. If things are hard, smoke this, take this. If things are hard, go hide in the bathroom. You know where students hang out? In the bathroom. 
They hang out in the bathroom. They don't leave school. They don't skip school. They go and they hang out in the bathroom. They literally sit on the ground. I heard the other day, I had a student who was in the bathroom sleeping on the, on the stool. He was sitting down sleeping on the stool. I'm like, wow, okay, cool. They're running and hiding and they're going to natural kind of gross situations because what else is there for them? What else would they do? What spiritual solutions are there? To get to the spiritual solutions, let's just consider for, for a moment, I want to take your attention to who God is in the midst of sin. Maybe you find yourself this morning and the issue you've got is there's sin in your life. Consider who God is. Psalm 86, verse 5. For thou, Lord, Lord, for thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. You got sin? God's ready. He's ready to forgive. He's ready to give you mercy when you'll call on him. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you're in sin this morning, <clears throat> if you find yourself battling with sin, what God wants you to do is give that to him. He wants you to call out to him. He wants you to cry out. God, I've got this mercy or I've got this sin and I need your mercy. I failed you. Don't go run and hide. He's ready. It might be a humongous big deal of sin that you've got. It might, you, got, you might have a whole plate full. But it might just be something small and subtle. It might just be beginning to fester. It might just be beginning to grab your affection or grab your, the handles of your life. And, and you know it's going to start steering you away from the Lord. Whatever it is, God wants you to call out to him this morning. Maybe you find yourself, though, in the midst of trial. Maybe things are just hard. It's not an obvious sin or something like that. Maybe it's just a tough situation. First Peter chapter five, verse six through seven says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Got a, you're in a tough spot, got a tough situation. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and cast your care on him. I know that that's something I've been learning to do this year. Uh, this sounds so immature. I'm just, I already told you, I missed the call when my wife was trying to catch a fish, so I could just lay it all out there. It's okay. <clears throat> sometimes, uh, sometimes being a teacher, are there any teachers in here? Perfect. You got my back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's kind of hard. Sometimes. Because it's not the job. If it's just teaching, that's really enjoyable. But sometimes you got to walk into your classroom and there's 15 kids who have drama and broken hearts and broken situations and you've got to be prepared to field that, right? When you're supposed to also teach them subject, noun, pronoun, like all the, you know, whatever. Sometimes it's hard. And sometimes my heart's like, nah, you don't want to do that. Toughen up. Go get it done. Go do it. Man up. That's what I tell myself. And then I'm just miserable. Right? And Kylie, you know, at the beginning of the school year, Kylie, she tells me, you know, it's like the day before we have to go back 
And she's like, I'm, I'm real stoic and quiet. I'm not saying much. I'm just kind of putting it off. Yeah, I got to go back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just watch TV. She's like, hey, Jeff, maybe we should pray. I was like, mm, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Man up. So she starts praying. I'm like, okay, yeah, let's pray. Good idea. So she starts praying, and she's praying, and she's praying. And she's praying for me, and she's praying for my students. And then it's my turn. And I just started praying, and pretty soon I'm just sobbing. <laughs> and part of it is I'm, I'm weeping for the souls of the students, and then part of it is me kind of just being a big baby, and I'm crying because I don't want to go to work. And I'm legitimately telling God, I'm like, God, I don't want to go. It's too hard. <laughs> and, and I just needed in that moment not to be really tough. I needed to just cast my care on, on the Lord because God cares for me. And then I get through the first semester and second semester is on the, ri on the rise. It's coming up. We're at Mission Focus. And, and I shared on Tuesday recently uh, just the burden for Grandview High School students. And, and I was sitting up here. I asked Sam to pray for me. I just felt heavy and the same thing happened. And it was the exact same prayer. God, would you save these students? And then also, God, I just really don't want to go. Help my heart to want to go. And then this morning, I'm standing down here and I'm just kind of dreading, like, ah, man. It's kind of like a regular thing. And it's kind of a daily thing where I have to surrender and, because it's hard. And what God wants me to do is not be really tough, he wants me to cast my care on him. He wants me to not think I'm so tough. <laughs> right? And maybe you find that that's what you need this morning. Psalm 62, verses 6 through 8. It says, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. And God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength. And my refuge is in God. What I see there is that God is our strength. He's our refuge. I'm not strong. My heart's not strong. My determination's not, it's no more solid than the, than the rock, right? It says, trust in him at all times. Ye people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. So whether it's in sin or, or trial that you find yourself this morning, God is entreatable. He's ready, he's got an open ear, and he actually asks you, hey, cry out, call out, talk to me. He wants us to call out to him in prayer. So here's your first application. This is who God is. As a kind and strong father, God desires to hear us as we call on him. And maybe you, you've come in this morning and you don't know that earthly father. Maybe you don't know that, that dad who is willing to listen and who wants to hear you. Maybe your experience has not been that you have that kind of dad. Maybe it is that you have that dad. Either way, you need to know, believer, non-believer, person with a dad, without a dad, God does want to hear you. He wants to hear you. His heart is for you. His thoughts toward you are like, there's, there's millions. He has so many thoughts towards you. He's thinking about you even now. And he just wants you to call out to him. 
to give you his issues, to give him your issues. You could make a case the other way too, right? Your second application here is our faith position in any situation should be, God, please hear me. It's natural to run and hide. It's natural to avoid. It's natural to, you know, I don't know, cope with being stoic. But the faith position is, God, please just hear me. And while you're writing that down, just uh, a reference to write down with that is uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18 to 29. 2 Samuel 7, 18 to 29. That is the first mention of the word prayer. And that's um, when, when David's like, I'm going to build God a house. And then God's like, don't build me a house. And then God's like, I'm going to keep building your house. And, and then David prayer. there's a prayer. That David prays. And it's really, it's really cool. You, you ought to look at that. But turning to verse 2, uh, turning now our attention to verse 2 of Psalm 4, he turns the prayer uh, to God into a plea to the sons of men. Right? So it's a prayer to God. God, hear my prayer. God, you're the God of my righteousness. Hear me. And now he's going to talk to us. Now, this is the first mention of the phrase sons of men. It says this, O ye sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing or lying? Selah. Now, sons of men are the lost, the natural, the carnal men in the world. Okay, so sons of men, just what you and I used to be before we were saved. It's important to note about these sons of men, the natural carnal man. The natural carnal man is set to turn God's glory into shame. That's the natural thing to do. They don't know how to discern God's glory. What is God's glory? What does that look like? What does that mean? So you've got that believer at your school and they're living for the Lord and they're on fire for God and maybe they're even winning souls and the lost man looks at that and they think, that's weird. What's going on there? And maybe they outright despise it. Maybe they put it down. When I was in high school, I, I, I think I've told this before, but, you know, Raytown, I went to Raytown High School, and they didn't have, like, the best trash talkers, so this wasn't, like, good, you know? But they used to call me, they used to call me God boy. Like, <laughs> got him. <laughs> right? Silly. We weren't real, I mean, you know. I won't say too much about Raytown, but it is what it is. Okay, so they, they would say things like that. And what they meant to do was they were trying to, to discourage my overzealous approach to the gospel. I mean, I'm telling people, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. And they're like, chill out, God boy. And they're saying, like, the church you go to is a cult. And they're saying all these things because they don't really know what's going on. I do believe God was being glorified in my life, even, even despite myself. I believe that there's salvation that came out of it, there's fruit that came out of it, and, and the lost natural man's like, that's weird, what's going on? They don't know how to respond to God's glory. They're set to turn it into shame, so they despise it. Okay, but the, also the natural carnal man is prone to love vanity and lies. The natural man is bent toward lies. 
is bent towards vanity, emptiness. When we don't know God's way, what do we do? We go our own way. And what is our own way naturally? It's to avoid, it's to hide. Lost people do lost people things until they're saved, right? It's natural. And then they should stop. When I was in fifth grade, I was a bully. I'm just confessing it all. I'm just getting it all out. In fifth grade, I was a bully on the bus. Only on the bus, because it was like, you know, I had these short trips, and I could be a bully, and then I'd get off, and I, you know, don't get, you know, beat up, probably, is what my thinking was. Because I wasn't, I don't think I was a bully at school. So I was like a cowardly bully. But anyways, I'm on the bus, and I remember, um, there's a, a, I think he was kindergarten, he was either first grade or kindergarten, I was fifth grade, and I just started saying with my friends some of the worst things you could tell a little kid. I'm like, your family members this and that, and they, it was, I mean, it was just terrible, shameful. I should have run and, and hid. It was terrible. And I thought I was good. So I, you know, I get to school and you know, I'm super tough because I made fun of a, a tiny little kid. And, and then he told, go figure. And I remember being in the principal's office and this, I did this a few different times, but this one stands out because this one really stopped my bullying uh, trajectory. They called me to the principal's office. They're like, this kid said that you said this, that you did this. I said, no way. <laughs> I didn't do that. I mean, what do, you, what do you think I am? Why would I do that, right? Because what else am I going to do? Admit it? No chance. I said, I denied it. And it was turning over in my head. It felt like for weeks and months. And it was tearing me up. And every time it'd come up, my conscience was like, hey, you're a liar. I'd be like, no, 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 no. I didn't actually do it. And I convinced myself I didn't do it. Have you ever done that? You convinced yourself of a lie you've told yourself? I did that. And then finally, my fifth grade teacher, Mr. King, he calls me, holds me uh, during recess or something like that, and he's got the gigantic TV cart, right? There's a huge 400-pound TV on top of a cart and the VHS, and he puts the tape in there, and he plays it, and it's the bus footage. And he plays the bus footage, and I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh, no. I've been found out. And he's like, so, Jeff, did you say these things? I'm like, yeah, I did it. He's like, do I need to play the audio? He said, do I need to play the audio before he asked if I did it? He said, do I need to play the audio? I said, no, 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 no. He's like, did you do it? I said, yeah. And I'm pretty sure there wasn't audio. <laughs> like, I, I'm pretty certain he didn't actually know what I said, but he knew that I was lying. I think he was discerning enough. But that's what we do. Before we're saved, the natural man will lie. That's how we're all wired, right? But believer, just quick reminder, you and I, we, we were that. We were carnal and natural. We were once exclusively carnal and natural. Our ways were despicable before God. They were offensive before Christ made us new. 
And we still have that flesh to combat every day. For example, I have small children and they wake up in the middle of the night screaming. And I'm thankful that they're learning words, but Georgia now will wake up. Mommy! 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 And she just hits it, right? <laughs> Mommy! And she becomes an alarm. And, and my wife is pregnant, so she's tired, and I, and I need to be helpful in the middle of the night. And so sometimes she's like, Jeff, can you, can you get this one? Because she's done it already or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. So I wake up, and all of a sudden, I'm in a rage. I don't know what it is, but I like, I get up and I like, you know, Sam has said that he sleeps with a lot of pillows and I sleep with about 14 pillows too. And, and sometimes they fall off on the bed. And so I, I'm walking around and there's like pillows all over the floor. And so I'm, I, this happened like a week ago. I'm so mad. And I, I'm like, where are all these pillows here? And I'm throwing them across the room to go get the mommy. And I'm raging because I've got this flesh, right? Rather than being sweet and tender and, and understanding, I'm, I'm raging. And we've all got that, that, that capability. You carry around a flesh. And it ought not determine what you do or say. But, but this verse in verse 2 is talking to the sons of men. He is talking to lost men. He's asking them, how long? How long are you going to do that? How long are you going to be that way? So let's begin to divide the, the spiritual and the natural man and, and how they view spiritual things. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual you, you, you're born again, you get God's spirit, and now you can understand God's thoughts, his feelings, his ways, his word. You can now communicate and have interactions with God by his spirit. Does that make sense? But the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 1, 18, the chapter prior, says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. So do the, do, do the math here. David's like, how long are you going to be, this? like basically, how long are you going to be the sons of men? How long are you going to be lost? Well, how long are you going to be lost? How long until you accept Christ? Well, until his spirit reveals that you need to be saved. And I'm praying right now that you would see that. Many of you are believers. Many of you are saved. Many of you are born again. But some of you, you're not. So lost man, lost woman, how long? This morning, receive the cross of Calvary. Amen. This foolish gospel, it might even be foolish to you. Receive it. Humble yourself enough to believe this foolish gospel. 
Be forgiven of your sins. You're like me in fifth grade. You know, you're like, oh, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And you know you're not good. So let me pull out this gigantic 400-pound TV and just say, hey, do we need to turn the audio on? You know you need to be saved from your sins. Be forgiven by receiving through humility and faith, believing on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Just receive the grace. And then in verse 3, David turns the psalm's focus to the spiritual reality of a believer. Okay? So I want to start back in verse 1 and read through to verse 3 here. It says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? Selah. But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Okay, so he sets apart him that is godly. He sets apart the believer for himself. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, again, kind of showing the divide between a lost natural person and a saved. It says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But, believer, but ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. You're set apart. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 21 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. For he hath made him to be sin. Jesus was made sin who knew no sin, he became our sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So what you may have been in the past is not what you are in Christ. What you used to do, what used to define what you were or who you were is no longer what defines what or who you are. And you don't get to hold on to that prior identity. Because God has set you apart for himself. I don't have to be a bully anymore to elementary school kids. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Right? But your key point is God set you apart. God set you apart. Again, verse 3 says, But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. It made me uh, think of 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, where Paul says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 
He set you apart for himself. So your authority now as a believer, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your authority now is him. And that is new from what it was before. Think about it. Before you're saved, who or what is your authority? And I think it kind of differs for different people. Because when you're a little kid, who's your authority? Well, your parents. And you get saved as a kid, who's your authority? Well, your parents. Okay, but, but first, it's Christ. It's his word. Okay, but let's say you're an adult. Who's your authority? You? Maybe you've been calling the shots up to this point, and you need to, to submit to Jesus. Maybe it's your job. Naturally, if I'm a lost person, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get through school or whatever, and, and then I'm going to get a job, and I want that job to be as, as like fulfilling, and I want to get as much money as I possibly can, right? Naturally. What else would I do it for? Okay, that job would easily become my authority because I have to do whatever they need me to do and I have to give my extra time to it and I have to devote hours and hours and hours in my entire life to being a good whatever. That's not my authority anymore. I fulfill my contract, but man, if they're asking me to work on Sunday, I don't know, I'm not going to do it personally. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's your family. I don't know. But whatever it is that you formed your identity and therefore submitted uh, your authority to, you've submitted yourself to the authority of whatever it is before Christ, at Christ, in Christ, that's no longer your authority. Who you may have belonged to in the past is not who you belong to in Christ. And maybe it was a relationship with somebody else. You, you could say they like, they owned your feelings. They owned how you feel. They owned how you responded. They had a hold on you that you couldn't get rid of. I don't know. But Christ owns you. Your key point is God set you apart for himself. He didn't set you apart for you. He didn't set you apart for anyone or anything but himself and his purposes in your life. And then we'll begin to wrap this up here. That we can leave the key point up. But the, the second part of this verse says, The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Okay, so I belong to him. I'm a new creature. I was a son, one of the sons of men, and now I'm one of the sons of God. I did have a natural response, and now I get to have a spiritual response to sin, to trial, to life. And he's set me apart, he's made me new. And I belong to him, and he's given me uh, great access. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Back to prayer here. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, because Jesus came to earth and he lived this life, he lived among the natural man and he was tempted like the natural men 
and he didn't sin and he became sin and he died for sin and he rose again and now he's gone up into heaven. He's our, he's our propitiation. He's our advocate. He's our mediator. And now we can have access to God and it says that let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So what limitations existed to your communication with God in the past did not have to exist in Christ. You're made to come boldly to the throne in prayer. That's like in your DNA as the new creature. You're made to go boldly before God in prayer. You're made to cry out to him, to call out to him because you're a son of God. Your application here is uh, be free from your past or your present troubles. Turn to Christ this morning in humble and bold prayer. So I'm, I'm going to leave verses four through eight um, as more homework, if you will, to read and study through. But David concludes the psalm by encouraging us to just simply trust in God. And when we, when we do look to him and call to him in life, there's blessing. No matter the difficulty of the situation. He says, I can lay down and I can have peace and I can sleep because God has got me. And the lost world doesn't know that. And if you're lost, you don't know that. You don't have peace. Right? And if you, you're saved and you haven't accessed that peace or you need to access that peace, you need to lay things before the Lord. This morning, there's going to be opportunity for you to do that. But maybe you've even done that. Maybe you are at peace. Maybe you're walking in victory. The lost world doesn't know it and they don't have it. Let God break your heart for them. Right? Come boldly under the throne of grace for help to, to see open doors at your workplace, at your school. Because there's hurting and broken people who, who need that peace. And so the praise team can, can come forward. Here's the invitation. We've got plenty of time. The invitation is, is this. If you know you're not born again, if you know you're not saved, you know that you've not put your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I, I want you to just be real bold and grab the person next to you. Take them with you. Bring them down here. Be saved today. There's a whole new life of purpose, of freedom, of peace waiting for you. There's a father who's ready to forgive you. you just come on, what are you doing? And if, and if you know that maybe you're saved, but you just need to cry out to God, maybe you've got sin or a situation, a trial, whatever, you do the same. Grab your other neighbor and you bring them down. And let's pray. And I'm not saying you need to have some emotional experience. That might be what it looks like, though. Maybe you need to stop being so tough, like me. And you need to get your ugly cry on down here on the front pew. That's good. But you grab your neighbor. Let's come down and let's pray. Amen? I'm going to pray for you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, 
a little bit of time to hear it, to receive it, and to respond to it. Got it. I know that your heart is for us to be right with you. Your heart is for us to be as your children, crying out, and we're not annoying to you. You don't have that fleshly nature. You're not impatient. You're kind. You're strong. You're consistent. You're gentle. We don't bother you. You want us to come before you and, and lay our lives down, whatever that looks like specifically. And so God, would you help us? Give us courage and boldness. Give us humility right now to say nothing else matters but what you're leading us to do, what you're leading me to do. Nothing else matters. God, please save souls this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.